Thanks for all that encouragement. That really fires me on up. It's always a good chance to worship God on Sunday morning, so we're glad you're here with us worshiping God. And you may have, or you may have not noticed, but in case you did, Jono might have been a little extra fired up this morning in his worship because we got to go see you 2 in concert last night, which was incredibly cool. And one of the cool things about that was that we got a sweet parking pass from our brother Roland. And so it was cool because it was an actual street that was shut off right next to the stadium. And it was a pass that we had, and so we would just rock up to the traffic, we'd show him the pass, and I would say... I'm with Jono here to see Bono. And they would let us all in. It was really cool. And so, but I also wanted to clarify, because you might have heard some rumors circulating, because there were some other members of our church at the concert as well. So, for instance, John and Aaron were there Friday night, right? And then Paul and Glenda were there last night. And so I don't know if these rumors are true, but I just wanted to inform you of some, some things that were going around at the concert. And, and one of those was that Bono is, is, is getting older. He's 59. And so it's harder for him to hit the higher falsetto notes. And so one of the rumors that was circulating around is that John actually wore a shirt that said, I love Bono and I can sing falsetto. And he offered his Irish mate to sing those high notes. And he, he offered, offered also to, to duplicate that today after church if anybody's interested. So I don't know if that was true, but that's just what I heard. I love Bono and I sing falsetto. One of the other rumors, because, you know, at one point there was a lot of commotion going on in the concert, and we looked over, and, and people were screaming, and hands were in the air, and it, and it looked like somebody had jumped out and, like, started to surf over into the crowd, and, and the rumor was that it was Paul and Glinda. <laughs> like, what in the world is going on? I don't know if that's true, but that was just another rumor that was circulating last night. And, it was Glinda. It was. We, we had, look on Instagram. No, it was a lot of fun. It was, it's cool to have fun with your brothers and sisters. And some good news before we dive in to our passage today. Two bits. Number one, our sister Kali just finished university. So, Kali, if you can stand up. That's a great achievement. That's awesome. Way to go, girl. That's how you do it. You enter and you exit by graduating. There you go. That's very cool. She's in the teens, bro. Come on. I know we all belong to the same fellowship, though. Thanks, Richard. The second bit is really exciting. That, that was exciting, but this is really incredibly exciting for the church because we're growing. Our membership is moving forward over 150, and as we head into the new year, we need new staff to help us oversee and lead the church. And so we've been talking about and praying about this for quite a while and getting lots of input from around the region and also with our leadership group. And drum roll, please. We're excited to announce that we are hiring Tyson and Chloe Klein to work in the full-time ministry. There you go. Hey, man, let's go home. Wow. That's awesome. We love you guys so much. We're excited to work together, and we're excited to see what God does as we continue to move forward together as a church. That's incredibly exciting, and you hear Tyson preaching a little bit more as well, so that'll be awesome. Give me a chance to get preached to, because I don't like just to preach, but I like to be preached at as well, and so, you know, you can come and preach to me after if you want to. Genesis 13 is where we are in our Bible, so flip over there, and if, if you recall, if, if we were to condense the book of Genesis into a Netflix series, 
Season 1 would include chapters 1 through 11. And just imagine watching chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis unfold. Creation happens. Mankind falls. God still interacts and tries to get things back on track. You'd be introduced to some wild characters. But that would set the tone for the rest of the Bible and and for the rest of our lives, really. And then in season 2 of Netflix would be Genesis 12 through Genesis 25. And in that season, it would really take the camera and zoom in on Abraham. And we really learn about his faith and his family, which we can apply to our lives. So here we are in the midst of season two in Genesis chapter 13. Let's have a prayer. Read this chapter. Look at some points this morning. Father, we are grateful to worship you, and we're grateful for all the great things that are going on. It's great to see Kali graduate, and we're so excited to have the Kleins work together for the church, Father, and just bless that tremendously. And we pray this morning as we read your ancient words, that they really spring to life in our minds and our hearts, and not just for knowledge, but to call us to action. And help, help this lost world understand this message that we all belong, we need to belong to God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's start reading in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 13. It's also on the screen if you need that. In verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. And Lot went with him. This will introduce the character Lot. Which of course has some ominous overtones as the chapter continues. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. That's, he got all that from Egypt. Which also foreshadows what happens when Israel goes to Egypt. And they get kicked out of Egypt because what do they say to, to the Egyptians? Give us some stuff. And the Egyptians give them silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel. To the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first, first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. And you have to imagine Abraham, as, as we're introduced to this character, has a background in foreign worship. And so here he gets this call from God to leave everything familiar, go to an unfamiliar land. And what he first does, the very first thing, is he builds this altar and starts to call out to the God that called him. And then it continues. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents from Kathmandu. But the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right... I'll go to the left and do the hokey pokey and turn yourself around. It's like this interesting little dance. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zorah was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And then, of course, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of the Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Not a good thing. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are to the north and south to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring 
forever. Previously, God had been saying a promise to him, but it had been more vague. I'll increase your descendants, you'll bless all nations. And now he's, he's getting more specific. Look around, look north, look south, look east, look west, and it will be to your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that anyone, anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. And imagine walking away from that conversation, just kind of strutting around the land. This is going to be mine and my family's forever. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre and Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. And so in this chapter, right off Genesis chapter 12, Abram has left Egypt and all of the consequences with that as he chose to rely on himself. Pharaoh confronts him. What are you doing? Giving me your wife. Take your stuff and get out of here. That's how chapter 13 begins. So in verse 1, Abram leaves and his family comes with him. So from this chapter, let's look at a few points this morning. First of all, let's look about refocusing. If you've already lost focus, now's the time to refocus in this lesson. Point number one is refocus. Because it's, it's extremely valuable for us to, to look at Abram in chapter 13 and how he responds after chapter 12. Because chapter 12 can be interpreted as a mistake. And often our character is built on how we respond to mistakes. So here we see Abram, he, he's just messed up, and now in verse 1, he's coming back to Canaan, and he gets refocused, he gets his head back in the game. And this is such an incredibly important concept spiritually, because you and I, we're all going to be thrown off our games at times. That's just going to happen, but it's important to learn how to refocus, and so here we see Abram doing that. Look at verse 3 and 4, from the Negev. He went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier. So he's trying to capture this experience when he first left home and he first comes to Canaan. He's excited. He's faithful. He builds an altar, calls out to God. But then shortly after that, he takes everything and goes to Egypt. And he, oh, that, that's not a good idea. First thing he does when he comes back, he visits the place he had been earlier to the altar. Okay, let me recapture. Let me get refocused after that mistake. This is a big deal. Because he doesn't do that when he goes to Egypt. He just thinks to himself, I need to go. There's a severe famine. He doesn't, when he, when he relocates, he doesn't say, okay, God, let me set up shop here. Let me call on your name. He just goes and concocts his plan, which we know doesn't work. But when he returns, he's so intent on recapture. Let me refocus. Let me regain composure. Let me get reconnected to God. And where does he do so? It's Bethel. That's what verse 3 says, between Bethel and Ai. And this, this will become a really important site for Israel, for the rest of their history. Jacob also gets a vision from God. Where? Bethel. Genesis chapter 31, verse 13. What else happens there when the Israelites are looking for guidance? In Judges chapter 20, verse 18, it says, All of Israel will go to Bethel and inquire of the Lord. In Samuel, Samuel is the prophet at this time, and he's traveling around making his circuit, and what it says in 1 Samuel verse seven sixteen, from year to year he went on a circuit starting at Bethel. 
That was his starting place. And so when Abram comes back and he regains composure, he gets refocused, he actually also sets the tone for the future. Because of his ability to refocus. And so clearly in verse 1, 2, and 3, the author is saying, Okay, look, he's messed up, but now he's back on his game. He's refocusing. Abram is an example for all of us because we all get distracted. We all get sidetracked. We all get disoriented. That will happen. But the big question is, how will you respond when those things happen? In many areas of life, there's systems in place that help people get back on track. Or if they've gotten off track, what what to do if they're paralyzed and they're confused and there's chaos? One example would be in health and safety, if you've ever used this acronym RICE. So if you have some kind of, how many of you have used that? Oh, that's good. So if you get hurt, go to those people. And and what happens if, if, if you get hurt or you get an ankle injury, instead of like, oh my goodness, what do I do? I'm panicking. I... All right, there's a system in place, right, rest, oh, sit down, let's get some rest, let me get some ice, let me stop the swelling, let me compress, elevate, all that kind of stuff. That acronym allows you to kind of clear away the fog and get refocused. And a lot of organizations have things like that. And, and so martial arts and boxing have the same thing. Whenever you see this in a boxing match, I'm always like, why are they flat out hugging the other guys? You know, what's up with that? But it's a technique. If you're getting beat down, you need to, okay, let, reaction. Let me, let me clinch until I regain composure, and then I'm going to get back in the game. Not that I've boxed, but that's, that's just upon observations. And if you're getting beat down, or if you're getting tired, there's, what do I do? Okay, let me just hug. Let me clinch until I recapture my focus and regain composure, and then get back in the game. And so th- this is what happens. The military has all this kind of stuff, these standard, standard operating procedures, health and safety rules. If you're in any kind of company, organization, they have things where if this happens... Here's what you do in order to get you back on track. And so what if there is a way to recapture spiritual focus like these things? If you're disoriented, distracted, instead of saying, oh, what do I do? What if there was some step that you could take to say, okay, let me shake off the cobwebs and get refocused. What can we do? Well, there is a way and the Bible gives us that way. And we see it exemplified here in Abram. And one of the most fundamental ways to get refocused spiritually is in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. It's the very first thing. This is the most important thing that I received and I'm passing on. And what is it? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, but he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Here's the thing. When you lose focus or you lose composure, take communion. Come to church and get refocused. When you meditate and you start to contemplate, Jesus died for my sins, it begins to develop a certain aspect of gratitude. And you may not know what to do entirely, but at least you know, I've been given grace, and I can take another step forward. 
And when you start to meditate on the fact that he was raised back to life, then it starts to give you hope and it starts to give you power. As you take communion, you say, I really don't know what to do in the big picture, but I know Jesus died for me. I know I'm forgiven. Let me refocus. Let me get my head back in the game. It's a very, that's why it's so important to gather as a church every Sunday and remember Jesus. It's our ability to shake off because we all, it's going to happen. And sometimes it's going to happen in big ways and other times in smaller ways. But the reality is we'll lose the plot. And when we come and we focus on Jesus, it gets us refocused. It gets us reoriented. And so in our spiritual lives, there there may be things that come at us that, that we actually know how to handle. Okay, that's good. I know what to do. But most often, you're going to be throwing some stuff in your life that you don't really know how to deal with it. And it's going to shake you up. And it's perhaps confuse you and, and cause you to be fuzzy or hazy. And, and you don't really know what direction to take. Well, in those moments, that, that's where this comes in. I know I need to get to church and take communion. If I can just do that. If I can regain and recapture Jesus. I can start moving forward. So let's be inspired by the example of Abram. As he comes back to Canaan and gets refocused. Amen? Amen. Secondly, we need to be peacemakers. That guy in the middle is making peace in case you can't see that. But that's, that's really the central key in chapter 13. I think even commentators or scholars title it. Abraham or Abram and Lot separate. That's kind of the key event that happens in this point. And from here, they take two very clear paths, don't they? Abram settles in the promised land and Lot begins to wander closer to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's too easy to do puns on Lot, so I'm just going to refrain and let Richard have all those. And we we know eventually Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. So there's this ominous tone. Abram says, hey, whatever you think, mate. And Lot kind of looks around. And so we see this. And and so what happens here is they've both developed so much stuff that now there's a bit of tension going on between Lot's herders and Abram's herders. And you can imagine it. I'm tired of following this guy around. I'm tired. You know know how it is when you spend time with family for an extended period of time. That's what's going on here. Imagine they have all this stuff and all this. And there's not enough land because there's all, all these people living in the land. and They have these flocks. And I've got to find a place for my flock. But that's Abram. I'm tired of flat out Abram's flocks being over here. And, what's, and there's lots. And, and this tension arises. And so Abram initiates the solution. He steps into the picture. And he says, what do you want to do, Lot? And you have to understand, this, this breaks protocol. Neither in our culture nor in ancient Near Eastern culture does the elder defer to the younger. Especially in crucial matters. They don't let the youth write the will. The people that are older write the will. And there's a reason for that. And so here it's this kind of breaking of, of protocol. We would never see this today. What, what would you like to have? No, the, 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 the older person would kind of come down with a decision and the younger would follow that. And we find him like extremely, extremely accommodating. In this scenario, you know what? There's lots of tension. I'm going to lower myself. This isn't normally what happens in our custom, in our culture. I'll go against those norms. We're family. There shouldn't be tension. We should live in peace. So as a result, why don't you choose? Look left and look right. And wherever you go, 
I'll go to the opposite. That's bold. Especially given in context that God is saying, I'm giving you the promised land. And now he's kind of dangling it. I know I've been given the promise, but you you choose where you want to live. And I'll choose the opposite. And then in this exchange, it's, it's, it's Abram making peace. He's a peacemaker. He's stepping into this scenario and he's not allowing this chaos and this quarreling to reign. And, and so in order to preserve the relationship, he becomes a peacemaker. You choose. And, and this idea of being a peacemaker is like fundamental, fundamental to the nature of God. And, and so it's highly relevant as people all over the globe have questions about when is there going to be peace? War in the Middle East. When is there going to be peace? Economic wars. When is there going to be trade war? When is that going to stop? When is there going to be peace? Everybody kind of has that question in the back of their mind. And the answer to this is when we make peace with God. Because He is the ultimate peacemaker. And this is what we see throughout the Bible. In Roman times, though, this was the goddess Pax. Pax Romana. You may have heard of that. The peace of Rome. The irony there is that they go and conquer other peoples and say, you'll live by our rules. Now look at our peace. Kind of interesting. But that's what happens. And, and so that's the goddess Pax. In, in, in Greek, it was Irene, which is when you translate that into the Greek, you'll see peace. Whenever you see that word translated in the New Testament, same thing. And, and so that was the idea. Let's, let's worship this God because she'll bring things together. But we're going to go and conquer people. And so that's how it worked out there. And then it, it even shows up in crazy areas like comic books. I'm sure Chloe probably or Tyson know this guy. The Peacemaker. I was like, really? There's a comic book character called The Peacemaker. And if you could read the little subtitle, it says, A man who loves peace so much, he's willing to fight for it. (laughs) I've always wanted to be that movie voice, you know? The Peacemaker. And so the Bible, you know, that's kind of comical stuff, but the Bible gives the ultimate example of peace. Because Paul, over and over, uses this phrase, this very phrase, The God of peace. The God of peace. He uses it in Romans chapter 15 and 16 and Philippians and 1 Thessalonians. And so over and over he says, the God that we worship is the God of peace. And what does that mean functionally? You know, what, what Abram does is he's accommodating to the situation. We actually see God do similar things in scripture to preserve the relationship with humanity. Think about when God let Israel have a king. He knew. He said, let me tell you what's going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. It's going to produce a corrupt system. Is that what you want? Yes, that's what we want. He could have said no. And it could have severed the relationship. But instead he says, okay. I'll grant your request. It's not, it's not going to be good. But I'll accommodate to preserve this relationship. With humanity. That, that's quite a lowering of a divine supreme being saying, okay, I'll negotiate with you and I'll let you have what's not going to be good for you because I'm willing to be a peacemaker. Of course, the supreme example of this is Jesus on the cross. The Spirit brought all this together. It's the exact same passage Richard read for communion. And that word peace is over and over in Ephesians chapter 2. He himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh 
the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. And he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. The reality is humanity is like hell-bent on ignoring God. But he's so graciously trying to accommodate and trying to bring humanity to him to preserve the relationship. And we see that in Jesus. I'll lower myself. I'll be born as a human. I'll live as a human. I'll experience humanity. I'll sweat and bleed like a human and I'll die like a human to accommodate this relationship and make peace and allow us to preserve the relationship. That's mad. But it's inspiring that we have a God that would do that. And so this is a massive deal because this is why we're motivated to talk to people about the gospel. It's not because let's get fired up and go share our faith. And it's we've been brought back to peace with God and we understand that. And now we say, hey, you want to understand peace? Let me introduce you to the supreme peacemaker. Who's willing to lower himself so that you can be brought close to him. And and so the question for us as individuals and as a church is, are you a peacemaker? Is it on your radar? Are you an effective peacemaker? are, Are you understanding that you've been made complete with God? And does that drive you? Does that motivate you to reach out to people and help them understand the gospel? Abram is an example of being a peacemaker. Let's follow him and be peacemakers as well. Amen? Third and last this morning, the grass isn't greener. Of course, when we went to the U.S., we visited the desert. We flew into Phoenix, and it's flat dry and cactuses everywhere. And so we, I did a couple teaching in, in, in America and you know, one of the points was the grass was always greener, but then I would always add a little asterisk and say, well, except in New Zealand. Because when we touched down, when we flew back to New Zealand, I was like, it's so green. It's so green. It was awesome. In this text, there's a, there's a key to understanding and it. it's a word that is translated different in the text, but it's one Hebrew word, and it means to dwell. So, for instance, in verse 6, the land could not support them while they stayed. I've underlined and capitalized that. While they dwelled together. That's Abram and Lot. They're, they're looking for a dwelling place. Verse 7, the Canaanites and Perizzites were also living. Same Hebrew word, were dwelling in the land at that time. Verse 12, twice, Abram dwelled while... Lot dwelled. And then in verse 18, so Abram went to dwell. So all of that time, all of that, when, when authors do that, there's a point, trying to make a, this, they're looking for dwelling places. To settle down. And don't we all kind of, man, we all kind of, it's great to rent a house, but it's awesome to buy a home. We're looking for places to dwell. And so this is what's going on here. And so where are we going to live? Where can I pitch my tent? Where's the best plot of land? Abram offers the choice. Now the fairest thing to do is for Abram as a, as a youth, as, as the, the younger guy, to say, well, what's the most fair? Why don't we just split? You stay on that side of the Jordan, and I stay on this side of the Jordan. And even Stephen, we're all good. That's how it should work. But what, what it says, though, is that Lot, in whatever verse it is, maybe, maybe 10 or 9, but Lot chose himself the whole plain of 
the Jordan. I want that whole bit. And he sets out east. And as Tyson has referred, one thing I learned from Tyson's lesson is if you live in Henderson, you're close to God. <laughs> That's what he said, right? That's why we hired you, bro. <laughs> No, it's not why, but, but it, this is what happens. And, and so you have to imagine this. Imagine this scene where, where you see this young man, like, scout. They, they, they probably were standing on this hill overlooking. And he says, what spot do you want? And he t- I want the whole plain toward the east. And what does it say? It says, it looked water like the Garden of Eden. And it looked like Egypt. He had a taste of Egypt recently, and he'd just come back from there. And so he sets his course. And so it ends kind of in an ominous tone, right? It says that in verse 13, these people were sinning greatly. That's the only time that strong phrase is used in the Old Testament. Sinning greatly. I mean, it's bad to sin, but sinning greatly. That's a whole other level. And he's not quite in the mix yet, but he's pitched his tents near. And so the grass looks green over there. I'll kind of scoot to that section, but it sets this tone that you've set a bad course. Calvin commentates on this and says this, Lot, when he fancied he was living in paradise, was nearly plunged into the depths of hell. Man, this is crazy. He thought the grass was greener, and it wasn't. I became a disciple at age 19. 44, it was 25 years ago, I think. And so, at the same time, a mate of mine named Corey became a disciple. He was 23, and we were both in the military. We became good mates, and we studied the Bible with our mates together, and we hung out together. But it was hard going against the grain of the military trying to preach a righteous lifestyle. But we did for a year. And after that year, we started to have conversations saying, this is hard. It looks so much easier to go with the flow. Why don't we just try it? To go with the flow and see what happens. And so ultimately, we just decided, you know what? I think we're going to leave following Jesus, leave church, and and just try to embrace the world again. Because this is hard. It looks greener out there. And that's what we did. And I remember that specific conversation that we had. And we did that for six months. And during those six months in the military, I got in trouble and I got demoted. And I lost my pay for three months. And I remember sitting, we had another conversation. And we, you know, hey, uh, I think we need to explore this conversation that we were having. And he said, I I remember him asking me, do you think you're going to try to follow Jesus again and go back to church? And I said, Probably, because what I'm doing is not working. What about you, Corey? And I remember him saying, no, I'm intent on not following Jesus anymore. And that was that. We had that conversation. Three weeks later, I got a phone call that he died of a sudden heart attack. And I went to church that Sunday. And that was the catalyst for me coming back to God eventually. And, and I don't tell that story to you know, evoke some kind of emotion and say if you snuff God, he puts a target on your back. I am saying, the grass is not greener. It looks like it's greener. But the grass is not greener. I've been a disciple 24, 25 years, and I've never once, and I've worked with a lot of people that have come back to church and come back to God, and I've, and I've never once had someone say, when I made a decision to stop following God's way, my life got better. Never. 
Has, ha, have I heard those words? In fact, I've heard just the opposite. Even in the last couple of years, people that come back have, have experienced life-changing, significant events when they decided to stop following Jesus. Because they thought the grass was greener. But it never, ever is greener. And there's no way, if you had had a chance to interview Lot, to say, hey, how was that decision? Was the grass greener? That was costly. That was costly. And and I want to just encourage our youth and, and challenge them at the same time. The grass is not greener in the world. In your minds, it might be. And it's hard to convince you otherwise. And only you could understand this. So you think the world is free. But I tell you, one small step in the wrong direction can be costly. Yeah. Costly. That you'll regret for the rest of your life. And I know it's hard. And I know it's challenging. But no one ever regrets obeying God. Amen. No one ever does that. They, re- they regret not following God. And I, but before you start out on these courses, and before you make a decision about that boy, or about that girl, or about that party, or about what to do at that party, I want you to think long and hard, or any various temptation, I want you to think long and hard, is the grass really that much greener? Let me think about this decision before I indulge. You've got to develop that kind of mechanism. Because it's hard. I know it's hard. The pull of the world is very gravitational. But the grass is not greener. In our marriages, you're probably going to go through difficult patches. And sometimes during those, other colleagues will start to pay you attention. Oh, what's going on here? And the grass may look greener. People are starting to notice you. Don't be fooled. The grass is not greener. That will ruin your life. It'll take a long time to recover from that. Parenting. Think, I'm going to just keep my hands off until my child becomes a teenager. And that's when I really wrap my arms around them. Paul tells Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. How from infancy, his parents would say, hey, this child is born, get out the Bible. Let's start reading it. The grass isn't green when you just let them do what they want to do. In life, the grass can seem greener, but it never is. No one ever regrets obeying God. As we continue in our story of Abraham... And check out season two. We've learned that he's faithful sometimes and he's fickle sometimes. However, we also learn that he had the ability to refocus. And I pray as we look to the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020, that all of us can have a bit of a reflection and say, where can I refocus? And let's as a church be peacemakers. We've been brought together with peace for God. Let's bring it to the country of New Zealand. And let's always remember, the grass is not greener, except in New Zealand. Amen.